0: welcome back to the Embodied and Sovereign podcast. On today's episode, I have the absolute honor and pleasure of interviewing one of my favorite embodiment experts alive today, Michaela Baum. (laughs) So I was first introduced to Michaela's uh, podcast several years ago from a good friend and then her book, The Wild Woman's Way, partially because my friend felt like (laughs) your life sounded very reminiscent to mine in some key ways and um, that I'm still creating as well, such as like really getting into wild er herbal medicine and when I was younger and then just this dream that I still have to have an animal sanctuary. (laughs) Um, I immediately fell in love with Michaela's work, wisdom and resonance and have had the privilege of taking her teacher's training for one of her signature somatic modalities, the nonlinear movement method. But what really attracted me to Michaela's work so much is that she has this remarkable way of balancing the spiritual aspects of life with a very real and often messy, challenging reality of what it is to be human. Um, She's also got a wicked sense of humor and is incredibly down to earth even amidst her being an in-demand therapist to extremely high achieving people such as uh, Will and Jada Smith. So she often teaches globally, although maybe not during the pandemic as much (laughs) with her co-teacher, Steve James, another remarkable human being. And she has numerous online offerings and has been featured on a recent Netflix series called Unwell. She's a linear up, Sorry, lineage holder of a female Tantra Shakta tradition, also known as Kashmir Shaivism. So Michaela, I hope I accurately got your entire (laughs) life story in that two-minute introduction. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very happy to, and thanks for having me. (laughs) So um, one of the main reasons I and many others that I know love your work so much is your resonance. Um, you are so down to earth and in this field of like feminine embodiment in particular um, there are a lot of people and women who are quite <laughs> I would just say kind of woo-woo and quite kind of quite out there which I get but they it doesn't seem balanced in this way of like real actual embodied experience right in this very human way and you have such a great harmony of this bringing like the spiritual and tangible worlds together. And I just, I'm curious, uh, how do you do that? Like, what do you, what are, <laughs> how do you like meld that together so well?
1: That's a good question. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing uh, when you say, uh, how, how do you stand in the world and also attend to your spiritual. Uh, practice of the spiritual aspects of life I think um, when life has knocked you about a bit um, you know you'll realize that both life and spirit need attention Mm -hmm. but it's not one over the other and the important piece I think for me and for anybody I work with and teach is that we don't bypass one domain for the other Mm -hmm. and so the bypass can work two ways, right? You can do this massive spiritual bypass where you're escaping your life circumstances by going, it's all perfect, or, um, you know, spirit knows and whatever. And that that's not that that's wrong. It's just, it's not the entire picture. And of course, the other way around, you could also um, neglect spiritual dimensions or the dimensions of, the mystical let's put it this way uh, versus only cold hard facts matter right like uh, so I think that the way to engage with that is to make sure that everything's looked at from the from all the different dimensions and it has to line up and make sense Mm -hmm. Um, so how do I do that well I have to live a very secular life uh, meaning, you know, bills need to be paid, animals need to be fed, mm-hmm. planes need to be boarded, or in the absence of planes right now in the pandemic, I still teach globally. But mm-hmm. what that means nowadays means I have to get up at twelve thirty in the morning, right? Twelve thirty at night, or twelve thirty in the morning, however you want to say that, and be on a Zoom call at one in the morning for Europe and and the UK, um, and then you know do that and then in the afternoon do it for the US and, and Australia and New Zealand and so what that means is life has to happen and and I have to you know attend to life where life happens you yeah. know which is very much on the ground practical uh, logistical and all of that and then at the same time while that happens, all the other dimensions also happen. And none of them is, is more important than the other. Um, they're all, are, it's like an orchestra, right? Mm-hmm. And then in some of the pieces in an, you know that an orchestra plays, there's more violins, and in some of the pieces, there's more horns or whatever, right? So it's like, you wanna have all the instruments going and then you can play however you wanna play. And that's something that I'm very, very um, adamant about is that you are capable and uh, well-versed in all of those dimensions mm-hmm. and not heavy on one over the other. And I find often with some of the people who you would con- who you described as woo-woo, it's not true for everyone, but yeah. I often uh, experiences it as um, areas are this... Um, disavowed or uh, kind of uh, disparaged uh, versus other areas based on proclivities or even capability Mm. it's easy to say you don't need money and money is bad if you're not capable of making any Mm. (laughs) you know it's easy (laughs) to say that you don't want to be in the horrible masculine domain of your schedule because that's not healthy when you can show up on time but I think it's very important to make sure that all dimensions are tended to have some skill and then you can pick and choose.
0: Mm.
1: I love that and you actually
0: brought up another question I had because I noticed this when I took your uh, teacher's training that you did have the schedule where you would be on with people in Europe time zone and you're in California And then you would get on later in the day with us here in the States or in Australia. And it's, to me that just, I mean, I've traveled a lot and I understand like, you know, jet lag and this like lack, like severe lack of sleep and disorientation, but like you're choosing, (laughs) you're choosing to do this, you know, obviously, you know, for a, a set amount of days, but, um, What do you, what did you do? What do you do during that time that helps you kind of just really stay present?
1: Well, I think one of the things that I can rely on, which is why I can do it, is that I have enormous practice under my belt, right? Mm -hmm. So meaning I don't live a life that's, this once again goes to what you were saying earlier, but I don't live a life that's separate from what I do for work. Mm And I don't, my life isn't separated by spirit and making money or whatever, right? So my life is such that every day, every aspect of my life is somewhat engaged with and dealt with. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I need to do more work than I would like to. (laughs) Mostly more email than I would like to. (laughs) Um, But but my life is such that um, all aspects are always there. So when I have to get up at 1230 at night, and it is very disorienting to start, usually I start with a lecture at 1 a.m., right? Um, What what allows me to do that is that I have both discipline, which is a big part of practice, right? I have both discipline and I have practice. So I can um, essentially put my personal likes and dislikes aside for that moment, and just step up to the task at hand. So that's very useful. This is also what what allows me then to go travel and stuff like that. But within that, I have very specific routines that make it so I can do these things a bit easier. And it's, I'm not gonna lie and say it's not taking a toll on my body because it does definitely, yep. right? So, uh, but that's a that's a price I'm willing to pay for the ability to be able to reach people all over the world, which gives me tremendous joy and and purpose. But I do things like um, I intermittent fast. Mm -hmm. So I intermittent fast on a regular basis. And so what I do when I, and I do this also with jet lag. So for instance, if we fly to Australia, I won't eat between when I leave the house here and the first meal in Australia. typically and then that resets the body and so i can use fasting and nutrition as a means of um, anchoring my body in different ways so that's super useful and i also i eat um, ketogenic mostly not always but mostly So I don't have sugar crashes, which is really, really I've noticed now with this year of getting up so early and stuff like that. um, If you have blood sugar crashes, you're not going to make it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so those are things I do. And then, of course, I also have to make sure that I do uh, certain practices. Also, what you don't see here is I got a standing desk. Mm, I'm not standing right now at this moment but I got a standing desk, so I can um, I can lower the standing desk to the point where I can sit on the floor and I can raise it to the point that I can stand and anything in between so I can regulate my body via the posture while I'm teaching and stuff like that so I do all kinds of stuff so my body stays as um, with it as possible
0: yeah I that's really helpful and I and I what I'm hearing too is like underneath all of that is just this sense of like devotion towards like this bigger purpose that you're that you have that that's like you know we hear this a lot in like you know psychology or self-help where it's like that you we have to find that kind of intrinsic motivator or um, what actually drives us Um, otherwise it, it we will burn out, right? <laughs> Not take care of our needs in those moments. Um, um, so I had this other question. Um, I know you were f- featured recently on a net- this ne- Netflix series, Unwell, on an episode on tantric sex. And um, where you share a little bit about the kind of work that you do with some clients and however you explain that you know in this world of Tantra, can often be cult-like and murky and people do need to be really careful. And what uh, a lot of people refer to as neo-tantra. And so I have a little bit of, uh, not a lot, but a little bit of background on more traditional tantra. And um, from my understanding, and again, it's not super clear, there's not a lot of crossover from what I've learned in that more classical sense. And what we, what most people think of, what is neo tantra? And I know that you have, you're a lineage holder of this um, women's lineage, and I'm just curious, like from your, just your experience and like your lineage, how does this crossover, or does it at all, or where, where, like where is that line, like where is that difference in your experience?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say in full disclosure that of course, because both of my background and my leanings towards uh, very sustainable learning and growth and trauma informed learning and growth, mm-hmm. um, I haven't gone to many neo tantric events myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I wouldn't expose my body to that kind of stuff right? for a number of reasons. Also, as of course, the fact that I'm a teacher and when you're a teacher, you don't go to other people's uh, teachings and, you know, uh, because, you know, becomes strange and weird and stuff like that. But Um, But so I'm saying a lot of the things that I'm saying uh, are gleaned from people coming to me having done other people's workshops and having done neo-tantric work or having actual accepted teachers in the neo-tantric field and, you know, stuff that one sees. Um, I I went to one tantra workshop in, in an early part of my career where I lasted exactly... 25 minutes of a five-day workshop, so (laughs) that's a whole other very, very funny story. Um, But that's a different story altogether. So that all said, from what I can glean and what is presented out there and I can read and see, um, the sexual aspect that is Neo-Tantra together with the very... So there's there's strains, right? There's the Neo-Tantric strains where it's all about essentially wild sexual exploration with, um, uh, with an intention of breaking through established boundaries, mm-hmm. pushing the boundaries, pushing the edge, which can have really enlivening effects. It can also really damage the body, yeah. the nervous system and re- resurrect or reawaken negative traumatic patternings. Right? It can do all of that because it's force. And anytime you work with force, injury can happen. Uh, But of course, force is very splashy and fun and, um, you know, can create great outcomes. So there's that aspect that's highly sexualized. And then there's another aspect that's highly spiritualized, where it's all galls and, uh, you know, adoring the goddess and uh, bubble baths and uh, violets. (laughs) Candles and whatever right and feathers and 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 heart, which is also very can also be very lovely can also be very mm, I don't know same making, you know, kind of or or creating a certain delusion, but it can also be very healing Mm -hmm. and so in the way I was taught and in the way that I understand more classical Tantra right once again i'm not a scholar uh, in that domain either, um, that particular tantra is not a healing modality yeah. and it's often used as a healing modality, um, in, in neo-tantric circles. And it's not, yeah. you know, you weren't even exposed in, in the, in the way that I was taught, you weren't exposed to any sexual practice in inner or outer sexual practice till you were of really sound body. Yeah and sound energetic system and sound, um, you know, mind essentially right there was a lot of emphasis placed on things that had nothing to do with sex and that had nothing to do with wafting about gazing into people's eyes or sitting on their laps or things like that right there's none of that because. that's such a small thing and, for instance, the root text of my lineage is the vinyana by rava tantra. Mm -hmm. Um, which when you read that, there are instructions that are, they have nothing to do with sex. (laughs) They have to do with the cosmic play of the masculine and feminine that can be translated down between two humans, men and women alike, man, man, woman, woman, man, woman, doesn't matter, you know, has nothing to do with sexual orientation or identification. But it's become this thing men, the masculine, feminine, that is all muddled together in these odd ways. So um, I would say that Tantra, as uh, we know it to be written in texts and scriptures, has very little to do with Neo Tantra. However, so this is my voice of reason here. (laughs) And that's not to condone some of the stuff that's being done out there, because some of the stuff that's being done out there isn't particularly, I don't know, useful, might be thrilling, but it's not very useful, and then there's stuff out there that's downright harmful, and then there's stuff out there that's really useful. Uh, that any any human being should be able to maintain prolonged eye contact for instance yeah yeah right it's nothing wrong with that ever right learning how to learning uh, uh, good sexual skills very important it's not Tantra you know but it's good to have good sexual skills it's good to heal your wounds you know but just don't call it that but that's a that's a different story. But what, what we can say is that in the best interpretation, this is true for some people, not all people, but in the best interpretation, we could say that a tantric approach to the body and to life could be translated into exercises and, um, and practices that, uh, that infuse the body and the, the human with tantric principles that are useful and applicable to their life and their relationship. Mm. yeah, That would be best case scenario.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just, it fascinates me because it, you know, when I first heard the word tantra and for years, I was just, I automatically went to this mindset of like, it's like a cult, it's like weird and creepy. And um, then I discovered, you know, um, non-dual Shaiva tantra. And I'm like, oh, this is like this, actually just makes sense to me so yeah interesting this just hear like your perspective on like that difference and like maybe potentially how that came about right
1: Um, well how it came about is quite interesting when you look at like the first people who brought tantra to the west Mm -hmm. so one of the people who brought tantra to the west was a man known as arthur avalon His name was actually uh, Sir. I don't know what his first name was. Woodruff was his last name. Um, And so, you know, he went to India. uh, He got exposed to some uh, Kashmiri Tantra and whatever else, but this was late 1800s early 1900s, and then he came back and went wow this will help the suppressed people, right? the sexually suppressed people. And I like sex and I like to have lots of women and let me go at it, right? So see, and there was somebody in America like that as well, where the first people who brought stuff were obviously most interested in the sexual aspect. And then other people who brought things back didn't want the sexual aspect so they went like super heady into the mm-hmm. scripture and the, you know and so it became very you know like there was picking and choosing happening and then of course the first people who came from india and of course there's also tibetan tantra right is yeah. a whole other situation uh, about uh you know when we talk about indian tantra or or Hindu Tantra, uh, then, you know, people came like Osho, for instance, right, a lot of people don't know that most of the Neo-Tantric traditions uh, in, in, in Europe, the US, Australia can be boiled down to people who learned from people who learned from people who learned from people who eventually learned from a guy who came from India, and, com- and for instance, Osho uh, brought Uh, you know, brought Tantra, but then combined it with things like process groups, encounter groups, uh, brought in psychologists, did, um, you know, did things that he thought would help Western bodies and so on and so on. So it all became very uh, shifted to address what happened in the 60s and 70s for instance right and then people took that and shifted it again and every time it gets taken the person who takes it adds their personal um, both gifts and downfalls to Mm -hmm. it right so there's a lot of that and then of course the people who claim their classic but really their leader had some awakening and then went and read some books, and now is teaching the thing, or makes people do six hours of yoga when actually his own enlightenment, or what he claims is his enlightenment, happened spontaneously while he ate a muesli bar, right? <laughs> or you know stuff like that. So, so yeah. there's all kinds of interesting stuff that has no bearing on what it really is about, which is an integrated body, mind, and spirit. Uh, I love that (laughs) it's that
0: last little bit it is and that's like that's why it resonated with me so profoundly when I first discovered classical tantras it it it's it's what embodiment is right in a way it's like this it's like the spiritual
1: tradition of embodiment that's um, right in and by the way exists in all traditions yeah right because they were householders And then there were people who lived a monastic lifestyle Mm -hmm. and they're very, very different practices. If you're living a monastic lifestyle, you need a very, very different approach to practice and to being with that than when you are a householder. And so in each of the big religions and all the little uh, traditions in between, there's always an embodied branch, so to speak, and Tantra is the embodied branch, so to speak.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that... Yeah, it, and it has had that effect on me where I've gone back to kind of learn about other traditions and other religions again, and it's like, oh, this actually is making more sense now to me. Um, so I had this other question kind of related to this. So you, you in the teacher training, you d- talked about kind of where the nonlinear movement method came from, and, and it was originated, I think if I remember correctly, when you were in meditation and kind of meditating on your central channel. And, um, you know, normally <laughs> I think most people, when they're learning meditation, it's like you sit still, you know, you kind of don't really move. But you kind of played around with like subtly moving the energy around your central channel and noticing how that um, had certain like effects on your well being, on your on, just on you. And um, I'm just wondering if. If you can hop back in time and kind of describe what that like discovery process was like because that's really that's really like fascinating to me that you that's like the birthing of this movement method.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't set out to learn how to meditate, right? So okay. so meaning my teacher back then gave me central channel practice, which is one of the um, let's say, preparatory practices within my lineage right so uh, meaning the uh, energetics within the body and and you know how how does energy move in the body which you know as you well know I teach a lot about and think is very very important particularly in a life where we spend so much time from here up, right. and now yep. we're really spending a lot of time from here yep. up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny, uh, actually. That you know uh, how how things have turned out. So, yeah. which is why embodiment, I think, is more important than ever, ever before. Right. So, um, so I didn't, I, I didn't engage in meditation practice. I engaged in inner channel practice. So, what that means. Uh, without going to technical, is that you know there's a central channel and then there's side channels. And so I did experimentations around um, feeling those channels. Could I feel them? Uh, were there contractions, uh, tightness? Um, what would happen? So there's breath practice and then there's energetic practice. And as I did that, and so that's traditionally done to begin with, with the body being still, so you're not distracted by the movements of your body right. Nowadays, I teach those practices in the later years of the study of the women's study groups, Mm -hmm. um, because they're, you know, there's preparatory practices to the preparatory practices to the practices who prepare you for next practices and so on, right. So because the body has a a, a genius in learning and there's layers you can, you know, uh, engage. So, um, so you kind of sit in a meditation posture, so to speak, so your is somewhat parked, right? Uh, and you're not distracted by what the body needs. And then you can kind of bring your attention inwards and become sensitive to what's happening inside. So the first thing I, w- I became sensitive to was my central channel and what that felt like. And then of course, as you become sensitive to the inner workings of your energetic system, Of course if somebody cuts you open they don't find it you know central channel it's an energetic system yeah but you can tell in your energetic system if there's any closures or kinks or dents so then you become aware of the dents and closures and then you can do energetic practice or breath practice um to to you know and and also meditation and other practices and there's mudras and there's all kinds of stuff where you can kind of straighten that Mm -hmm. channel and so as I was doing this, I realized that if I would do movement, certain th- certain dents would get undented. And so it became kind of my personal fascination on how much could I do with the, the subtle motions of my body to affect my energy system. And I'm, you know, I'm by all means a fairly nerdy kind of a girl. And I certainly was back then where I could spend endless amount of time just exploring something and digging into something. And and so that's how nonlinear movement method originated to begin with, was my engagement with subtle motions in the body. And then, of course, I started learning about the nervous system and... I also had some pretty traumatic things happen back then in in my early 20s. I lost two of my closest friends within a year apart um, through death. And um, one of them, both of which were very traumatic. One was a a very, very aggressive breast cancer in my closest friend, the other one was a suicide, a very gruesome suicide on my male best friend. And so I got to road test the energetics of my body back then. And I didn't do that well with my girlfriend, which then led to the exploration of uh, what it would take to actually be with strong sensation in my body. And uh, that that formed and informed um, essentially my work from there on out in a certain way. Is how do you stay in the body? how do you create resilience, how do you meet challenge, how do you meet death, right, Um, what is this, right, what what happens, why did I have such a strong, uh, so all of that plays into what's now the nonlinear movement method, which is a way to sensitize to the body, to regulate the body, to engage with the energy systems of the body. And there's still a strong aspect of Without me pointing to that distinctly because it's not necessary to point to us, but the, the central channel and engaging with that core of our being right, mm-hmm. is still a big, big part, because when the core of our being energetically as well as. Um, you know, from a I don't know what the word would be from a grit standpoint, when you have a strong core. Mm. Uh, you are much better equipped to deal with. Yeah. Stuff, you know? yeah. Um. And
0: you've, ex- you've talked a lot about like how our like feminine energy is like, you know, we were just talking about how like a lot of us, even more so now during COVID we're like living from like the neck up or like, the, you know, like the, the chest up. And, um, when, you know, in a lot of your teachings, um, you talk about our, the feminine energy is more like, you know, down in our, you know, between our hips or something like that. And like our pelvic area. And, um, while I I like, I feel this to be true, like I can feel it in my body, but it's still this like kind of ethereal understanding of like, well, but like for, pe- for people who may not be so energetically self-aware, like, can you just explain a little bit more about what this means? And like this, just like, why? <laughs> I don't know if that, if that's possible, but like, yeah, why? Yeah,
1: well, these are, the, they're there? not, they're, they're, you know, that often these, these terms are thrown around in all kinds of, esoteric or pseudo esoteric or spiritual ways but really there's a few ways to slice it and the simplest way to slice it is that when you are a woman um and i'm not gonna go into the this has nothing to do with your sexual orientation or your identification right you can identify different than your biology you can also have a biology uh, uh and have a different sexual preference and all of that's perfectly okay and and not an issue within what i'm about to say right so when you have the endocrine system and the organs of a woman there's other aspects to being a woman right i want to just say that because i have women in my women's group who are transgendered for instance right and so um who are clearly women in in all ways except the you know they weren't born yeah like that so I want to say that because (coughs) excuse me um there's many ways one can be a woman yeah right and I and there's also many ways one can be a man and all of them I think are appropriate and understandable and should be honored right so I want to say that because that I think is very important but what I'm talking about right now is just a human body. Mm -hmm. So when one has a human body, (laughs) it doesn't matter if it's male (laughs) or female right now, right? We're not talking gender. We're talking nervous system. Mm -hmm. Right. So when we have a human body, then within the human body, there are systems that keep us alive. Mm -hmm. And those systems that keep us alive as human beings, are um, geared towards survival first, all else later. So what do we need for survival? Well, we need fight or flight, which is within our nervous system. And then fight or flight makes it so we can live, (laughs) so to speak, right? We need uh, procreation, which is, by the way, in the other aspect of our nervous system, rest and digest, Mm -hmm. right? Parasympathetic and sympathetic fulfill those two fundamental survival functions run as fast as you can fight as hard as you can or freeze in the bushes till the danger has passed right uh, and when it's safe to do so eat as much as you can excuse my language fuck as much as you can right yep. so 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 that's that's those are the two aspects of our nervous system so those are active in each human being and based on which aspect of that is more active uh, our energy is somewhere different in the body Mm. so there's that yeah so from that viewpoint when we are in fight or flight and this is by the way in a human being the, the body doesn't know is there real danger or is it perceived danger so emotional stress is equally as detrimental or as activating to your fight or flight impulse than a bear walking by here. That would be interesting. Um, <laughs> you know. So uh, from that viewpoint, when we are in fight or flight, our energy has to tighten, gather. Our bodies have to tense. Our blood has to pump really fast. Our heart has to beat. Our uh, t- We create tunnel vision. And there's a certain kind of aggression plan forward motion right Mm -hmm. so this has not anything yet to do with men or women that's just what the body does yeah When we're in rest and digest the energy becomes less localized it goes in the areas that are needed for resting digesting and procreating so down yeah. into the lower body where the sexual organs are where the stomach and the gut sits where we excrete you know like all of that where we bleed where we ovulate where we are pregnant where we ejaculate right so so regardless if you're a man or a woman your rest your feed and breathe or rest and digest happens in the lower parts of the body yeah your fight and flight happens up here but also of course in the legs unless your legs are frozen in uh in freeze right but but there's a it's centralized it's tight it's tense it's focused versus relaxed open flowing so there's that men and women alike then when you have a male endocrine system that that leads a certain kind of uh, life of its own, so to speak, to support the male species prerogative mm-hmm. for survival and procreation and sex and mm-hmm. hunting and killing and eating and whatever. And because befo- before we become these evolved humans, our bodies need to live. And when you are a woman and you have a female endocrine system, you have to be able to maintain a pregnancy. You have to ovulate. You have to be able to give birth, breastfeed, um, attract the mate, Um, you know blah 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 so then there's energetics that help with that and so when we talk about feminine practices uh, and being in our feminine we're not necessarily just talking um, women we're talking about the flow of life force through our body but in women with a woman's body who want to engage in that aspect of life, we have to take the endocrine system, our reproductive system, and all of that into account. Yeah. Right. But even in a man, uh, having flow and relaxation allows for, you know, all the things I just talked about. Mm -hmm. So why do I have particular um, emphasis in, for instance, the wild woman's way, right, on feminine practice for female bodies? Well, because a lot of our regular life is in the fight or flight, go, uh, get stuff done mode. And so we have huge muscles in that part of our being, the go part, the often described masculine part of our being. And we don't have a lot of muscle in the flow part. And so if you want to engage in the flow part of your body as a woman, you're going to have to do some practices. So that's a very long <laughs> no, answer to that question. I,
0: I love that it's really clarifying, and I I know I've heard you explain it in a different way, but it's it's just landed a little deeper this time because it's again it's it points back to this way that so many of us operate, especially in just modern. I don't know. That's just Western. Just the modern <laughs> world is we're so living in this um, kind of tight. Um, you know more masculine go oriented energy. And um, a lot of people don't know how to relax. <laughs> a lot of people don't know how to just like be in that um, more embodied space. Um, yeah. So it's something that to kind of go off that is um, like in my own coaching, I've noticed no, it's, it's a very generalized thing, um, but I'm curious if you notice any tendencies like this of like, I've it seems to be like when I work with women, they tend to get way more immersed in their, in themselves and in that emotional realm and that feeling realm. Um, whereas the men seem to t- tend to kind of relate to that experience more objectively and mm-hmm. it, it hap- like, they move through it faster whereas like the women kind of like just like I want to say like luxuriate in it where it's just like just totally like all of it you know <laughs> um but I'm just wondering if you've noticed any if you've noticed that or any other kind of differences in kind of how we operate and and if there's any wisdom to impart that we can learn from um you know the opposite sex in this way
1: yeah yeah Well, I think once again, right, I sound like a freaking broken record these days. Um, I think it's very important to understand that before all our societal conditioning, uh, positive and negative, right, and all our relational considerations, survival, and our bodies functioning in the way optimized for survival is always there and instead of working against that or negating that when you actually accept that and take that into account you can transcend it with choice and freedom and more uh you know more more grace Mm -hmm. but you can't you know nature always wins so to speak right you can't go against nature and there's a there's quite a bit of tendency for people to want to go against nature or to uh be down on nature so to Mm -hmm. speak right so when you look at the biological prerogative of us as women wanting to procreate that doesn't mean we will procreate but we're engaged in that particular play meaning we're not in a monastery celibate um we want to be in that play of two partners doesn't matter if you're gay or straight right you want that 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 tension, that that tussle, the play, right? You might want to give birth or be creatively birthing things, right? So all of that requires the willingness to be full. Mm. Because biologically speaking, you are going to have to grow a human inside of yourself. When you really think about that, right? That's some pretty far out shit. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just like, what now of course it's also the most natural and normal thing but we are like these very heady creatures and when you really think about that the fact that your body knows how to make another human from a blob (laughs) right is nothing short of mind-boggling right right? so that said though the disposition of receiving um you know just think of sex right Mm -hmm. so when you are a woman having sex uh, of a penetrative nature for the sake of procreation, which, once again, not everybody does, but the general disposition, you have to open your body to a foreign object. Yeah. Right. That's where it starts, meaning your energetic boundary is willingly broken, hopefully willingly. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, there, but there's a huge element of surrender and trust involved and all kinds of things energetically, then you then that breaking of the of your energetic boundary can result in something growing inside of you and then you have to get it out of you right via the same way it came in so to speak right (laughs) when you really feel that I know it sounds really horrible when I say (laughs) it like that but I'm I'm saying it on purpose like that because when you realize that you realize that the disposition of the luxuriating the wanting more the Mm -hmm. rolling around in the muck positively as well as negatively the willingness to engage with life is 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 what allows us to do that yeah Yeah. and at the same time and this is the other thing that can be quite a shadow when it's not explored right it's um that need to be filled can get really really dark Mm -hmm. right both sexually as well as with food as with drugs as with shopping as Mm -hmm. with acquiring stuff right like if it's not looked at or owned or or cultivated, yeah. right and then on the other hand of course when we talk about why can men just move through things and whatever well because no energetic boundary gets broken you actually get rid of something so to speak right the act of procreation in a man means they're ejecting ejaculating something right giving it away they can give it away all the time yeah maybe they're energetically depleted but maybe not because some <laughs> men are very you know and then it's done and then they move on there's no nine months of whatever and you know so there's reasons why men are built different than women from that viewpoint like i said that's a reductionist view simply to understand our base drives which then should be cultivated and polished and also added to and maybe transcended or integrated or whatever right but that's why um you know also if you have to go and kill things
0: Mm.
1: so your family can eat there's you have to have a certain disposition yeah right um and you have and that's not to say that men are not sensitive because men are finely sensitive it's just a different sensitivity it's a different view and when we allow for that view to be equally valuable then we can have proper you know exchange between the sexes, so to speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh,
0: thank you for that. Um, um, I know we're coming up on the last few minutes here. And so I'm trying to decide which questions I want to keep asking, but I always, I always like to hear what is, um, when you're working with clients and students, what is one of your personal favorite experiences or realizations to witness or facilitate for them? Hmm.
1: I would say probably the thing that tickles me the most and that I'm the most um, intent on these days. This was not always true, but these days, um, is personal empowerment.
0: Hmm.
1: So Giving enough uh, education, skill, insight, tools, and motivations, um, you know, so that somebody can make sense of themselves, and learns what they need to learn, so that it's theirs and they're empowered to make their own decisions, their own uh, epiphanies, their own uh, learnings, their own practice, right? So that they're not reliant. On me or Steve for the rest of their lives, yeah. so that when you come, you come with that feeling of, "Oh, I, you know, I, I implemented this, and this is what happened. Now I want more," and not from a place of, "I can only exist if you constantly feed me." Right? Like it's so. It's it's a growing up of the being, and it's an empowering, mm-hmm. um, in into the understanding that we all have what it takes. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I think, what tickles me the most. Mm -hmm. When I see people getting that, that's very, very gratifying.
0: Yeah.
1: And um,
0: what, who or what is one of your greatest sources of inspiration personally?
1: Hmm. I would say my greatest source of inspiration in the biggest picture is nature yeah um i i draw enormous inspiration and comfort and uh strengths and 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 all of that from from the natural world within myself and outside of myself so i would say that that's definitely um uh you know the, the biggest source and then um there's a few people in my life uh, whose um uh, relationship Well, I should say, there's a few people in my life where my relationship to them is and and the way I relate to them and the way um, the exchange happens and the way that allows me to kind of engage is hugely inspiring. And then on
0: the note of nature kind of, um, I know that you have a animal sanctuary, is it Moondog? dog ranch moon dog
1: ranch yes,
0: yes that's right <laughs> I love seeing the videos and the and the pictures that you share on social media I just like because that's a dream that I have as well as to have this um, I kind of want like an uh, a, an old dog retirement center <laughs> but um, I'm just curious if you have like any fun or cute stories you can share about um, your rescue animals to just finish off this interview
1: yes well You know, I have quite a few animals and the moon dog is my horse, he's called the moon dog. So that's why it's called moon dog ranch It's a very beautiful old very now very old Appaloosa, with you know the white butt and then yeah, but that's why it's called the moon dog ranch but um, I have dogs, I have quite a few dogs, Mm -hmm. Uh, and my pack of dogs has always been you know a great source of joy and amusement, and you know they're a handful. Um, so what's happening now that we're in, you know, been in a year of the pandemic and I've been home solidly for over a year, uh, is that wherever I go, I am followed by the entire, well, almost the entire pack. I have two very, very old dogs that sleep most of the day, but the rest, the rest of them, um, follow me everywhere I go. So. Uh, When I'm on the move, they are on the move. When I'm stationary, they're asleep. So it's this hilarious thing that when I, like, for instance, now when we're done, when I um, go back to the house, I'm in the studio, I go back to the house, everybody comes to life. And then everywhere we go, we go together. And I am followed by this pack and they're all very scruffy. They all look very wild and and hilarious, mostly. Um, so, I, and then when it's time for certain activities that they know that are routines, these activities are also accompanied by wild barking. <laughs> so When it's time for food, it's like pandemonium uh, that follows me on my path to getting everybody food. So <laughs> I find that very, very amusing and enjoyable. Uh, I'm not, not sure how my neighbors feel about it, but I love <laughs> I love the heralds uh, announcing, you know, my every move when we do food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can, I
0: imagine it's very, um, it's always quite lively there.
1: (laughs) It's very lively. The donkeys will bray when it's time for food. That Mm -hmm. makes the dogs howl. They howl in a chorus like little wolves. It's very cute. And, And then, you know, there's nighttime creatures that only come during the night, not all of them good. Like I have a raccoon at the moment, so I have to be on, you know, extra <laughs> extra careful patrols so nobody comes to harm and mm. all of that. So yeah. it's 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 a it, it's a whole life by itself. Yeah, one of my many hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I know we're at time, and
0: I just want to say thank you. This went by really fast. I know <laughs> it has um, been such an honor. Speaking with you today, and thank you so much for taking the time to share your embodied wisdom and insight and resonance. Well, thank Um, you. (laughs) For those listening who want to find out more about Michaela, her works, and her offerings, you can visit her website, michaelabohm.com. That's M I C H A E L A B O E H (laughs) (laughs) M.com. (laughs) <laughs> just want to make sure i spell that right and um she has the second season of the 12 fa- facets of the feminine starting april 26th um the next uh, enrollment for the next teacher training is um has early bird price available through july 1st and other offerings as well so thank you so much
1: thank you
0: <laughs> thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. I also have a special free gift for all of my listeners. Just go to meganheart.coach gift. That's M-E-G-A-N-H-A-R-T dot C-O-A-C-H slash G-I-F-T. All my love to you. Until next time.